With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. The game is over when the final buzzer sounds. The analysis ends when you say it does. This is Overtime Open Line. Interviews, analysis, and your opinion. Oilers Hockey is brought to you by Friesen Brothers. And now, the Heartland Ford Overtime Open Line. Here's Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Well, one week ago tonight, the Edmonton Oilers delivered an absolute classic. Tonight, they deliver an absolute dud. A 3-2 loss on the road to the Buffalo Sabres. Dylan Cousins scored twice in the final six and a half minutes of the second period to make the difference for Buffalo. Leon Dreisaitl had both Edmonton goals, both on the power play. He's up to 14 on the season. Anders Bjork also scored. In the third period, down a goal, it took the Oilers 12 minutes and 5 seconds to get a shot on goal. Down a goal trying to tie the game. Now, in those final 7.55 of the third period... They did have 14 shots on goal, but it wasn't enough. Uh, full marks to Buffalo for this victory as uh, a pretty poor game by the Oilers overall tonight. Can also tell you at halftime at Commonwealth Stadium, nil-nil Canada and Costa Rica in the World Cup qualifier. Well, Rob, often when the Oilers don't have a good night, especially in past years, we've talked about, well, their, their depth players didn't come through. They don't have enough depth wasn't the guys at the bottom of the roster tonight. I mean, this was veteran players, big-name players on the Oilers with with huge mistakes, quite frankly. Yeah, you're right. I, I thought some of the depth players had their best games of the year. That was Benson's best game, McLeod's best game. Um, Fogle played well. Uh, so those players were good. Um, Duncan Keith, uh, key giveaway at a bad time. Uh, Connor McDavid was uncharacteristic with with the puck on his stick. Turned the puck over a, a few times. Uh, it, it wasn't good enough for the others. And again, they got a, a good effort out of Skinner and Net. So the young goalies played well in, in in both games on this road trip, but the team has been sloppy in front of them. So the others had a, gr- a great final eight minutes of the game. But they put themselves in a position where they had to be great in the last eight minutes of the game. They've got to find a way to stop doing that. Here's head coach Dave Tippett. Uh, we allowed them to score easy goals, so we chased the game the whole game. We had some effort there, but we just didn't play very smart. Three games on this road trip. Three games you're looking to tie it up or get the lead in the third yeah. period. Obviously not a recipe for success. No, I mean, the way we're giving up, we give up four or five breakaways, that's not a recipe for success. Uh, three games in the last four days, back-to-back, second half. Uh, what was the battle like in terms of the energy level? Uh, we got lots of energy. It's, it's disappointing that we played the way we did to allow those allow them the opportunities that they got. So would you say it's more of an execution thing instead of energy? No, we allowed them. We gave them four breakaways, and they scored on three of them. That's what it is. 
Now, obviously, uh, a losing result, but what did you think of Skinner's play tonight between the pipes? Man, I thought he was all right. All right, thanks. Thanks, Dave. All right, that's that's it from Dave Tippett tonight. Not pleased that he thought Skinner was all right. And, yeah, four breakaways. Uh, Andres Bjork scores on a breakaway, 216 into the second period. Cousins scores on a breakaway with 604 left in the second. That tied it up. Henestroza is stopped on a breakaway. And then Cousins... Scores on the rebound, and, and I mean that was another sloppy play by uh, Edmonton, and then McDavid had Cousins and then didn't have him yep. on the back check, and then it's, okay, so I got to give the timing here for everybody. Cousins scores on the rebound of the Hinnestrosa breakaway with 49.9 seconds left in the second period, and then with 13 seconds left in the second period, Jeff Skinner had a breakaway. <laughs> I mean, that was a little more of a from the side, but it was a pretty open shot. I think those are the four <laughs> Tip was referring to, uh, but but Stuart Skinner stopped Je- Jeff Skinner. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think you can put too much on the Oilers goaltender tonight. This it, it just, it, like we were talking about, just, just, just too sloppy, too many giveaways uh, and we talked yesterday well don't work harder work smarter I mean the others needed to be much smarter tonight yeah they they didn't play smart and Dave Tippett said it right from the beginning of his press conference it wasn't a smartly well or a well played game in the heads of the Edmonton Oilers just wrong decisions uh, poor execution um, blind passes and again, from veteran players, it wasn't the young players that were making the mistakes. It's the guys that were brought here and that are supposed to be the safety valves, the guys that are supposed to be put out there in situations to calm things down. And, and again, I go back to the Keith one. It, 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 it was such, The Oilers are playing okay. They have a lead. Uh, they're getting the power place. Things are going their way. And then you just give a breakaway. To, I mean, the Oilers had control of the puck. There was no forecheck on Keith. Like, nobody was even coming close to him, and all of a sudden, five seconds later, it's a breakaway and a goal for the Buffalo Sabres. That's what would drive Dave Tippett crazy, is he's like, okay, we've got the game in hand. we got a 2-1 lead against a team that struggles to score goals. We have a chance to extend, because they're going to have to get out of their game plan. We don't have to force anything, and Duncan Keith did. And that was just uh, the start of a, a stretch where the Oilers just compounded mistake after mistake after mistake and the Buffalo Sabres opportunistic they didn't create a whole lot on their own they allowed the Oilers to make mistakes to give them their chances so Oilers fall 3-2 the Japanese village goal light will be dim this evening we only turn that on when the Oilers score five or more in a game then you can go to 630ched.com and print up a coupon for a free appetizer to Japanese village try the legendary Wagyu steak cooked before your eyes reserved now at JV Edmonton Well, I've got to hand it to Dustin Tokarski. I was talking with Muter before the game, and I have this image of Dustin Tokarski in my head as this relatively young goalie who's maybe played for a couple teams and he's trying to find his groove somewhere. And I was double-checking his stats. I was like, oh, yeah, he's 32 now. Uh, you know, they were saying he's, he's yet to play at 60 games in the NHL, but he was good tonight. I, I mean, really, I mentioned the Oilers' third period. Again, so many weird things about this game. Like, they're down a goal. They, they 
produce almost nothing for 12 minutes, and then they get 14 shots in the final eight minutes, and Buffalo was hanging on. Yes. Uh, I mean, as poorly as the Oilers played for most of the night, they did They did have Buffalo on the ropes in the last eight minutes. McDavid alone in front. Tukarski gets a pad on it. Yessi, one-timer. Tukarski stops it. Uh, Dreisaitl, one-timer. Tukarski shots it, and then just kind of a general flurry of action in the final two minutes after the Oilers uh, pulled Stuart Skinner for the extra attacker. So credit to Tukarski tonight. He he made the big saves when the Sabres needed one. Well, and here's how things inches and breaks and bounces. In the first period, Darnell Nurse appears to score from a horrible angle on Tukarski. And now he beat Tukarski with the puck, but it just the way it bounced, it bounces off his back and his body up off the crossbar and out. If that goal goes in, if it goes the other way with the bounce, now all of a sudden the O's are up one nothing against a team they should beat, and a goaltender lets a bad goal in early. How's that for the confidence? Instead, uh, the luck of the of the bounce for the Buffalo Sabres, it doesn't go in. He gains a little bit of confidence. And I can tell you from experience, when something goes against you and then all of a sudden it's reversed, there's all of a sudden you feel good. You're like, okay, that's good. There's the break I needed. Okay, I'm going to be better now. And he was. He was excellent. Uh, he went uh, head-to-head with Leon a number of times, Pugliarvi a number of times, Hyman. The, the others had some chances. As poorly as they had played for parts of the game, they did have some great scoring chances, and Tukarski was good. So tonight was a game that the goal te- both goaltenders were good enough to earn a victory. The Buffalo Sabres 5-on-5. Five five were by far the better team up until the last five, six minutes. But for the first 55 minutes, were by far the better 5-on-5 team. Well, and that's worth pointing out that the Oilers were 2-for-6 on the power play, and all their power plays were in the first half of the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, Buffalo winds up going 0-for-3. The Oilers did have a good kill in the third period. To Very important Buffalo one, yeah. From uh, putting the game away. Uh, it's been a, a, a weird week. We've kind of wound up talking about the refs after every game so far in this road trip. This was a bit of an oddly refereed game as well, uh, greatly to the advantage of the Edmonton yes. Oilers, quite frankly. I mean, I think a couple calls on, on Buffalo were suspect marginal to yep. be uh, polite. We did a lot on officiating uh, last night, and the Oilers scored on one of them, uh, yep. for sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, th- that's our theme. I mean, the, the Oilers were not good enough and probably got some breaks along the way to even lose by a goal. Well, for the Oilers to be down going into the third period after having six power plays through 40, yeah, that's what's shocking. Because you think, okay, through six power plays, they, they, their power play actually... I mean, a couple of them didn't look good, but they still were 33% on their power play, which is National Hockey League record type 33%. So that's good. It's just five on five through the first 40 minutes. They weren't good. And, I mean, Connor McDavid, as great as he is, how many breakaways has he had from, like, center in? The only breakaways he gets are one-on-twos, where he actually goes through two guys. So it's very rare, and he's the fastest in the league, so it's very rare for breakaways to happen. And the Buffalo Sabres, who are not world beaters, they had four power or four breakaways in this hockey game, and that is uh, poor um, decision making by either a forward turning the puck over, or usually from defensemen making bad decisions, bad reads. And tonight, uh, a number of those reads, and it came back to haunt the others because the Buffalo Sabres are again not a team that they didn't have extended stretches in the offensive zone. They're not a team with uh, a great forward. They're not like the Calgary Flames can forecheck you to death and create op- opportunities off of their forecheck. The Buffalo Sabres, they were just looking for that home run ball and, and they were getting it because the, the Edmonton Oilers were playing into their hands. So uh, a learning experience tonight for the, for the Edmonton Oilers. And on this road trip, because if you were 
looking at this road trip and saying, okay, the Oilers have got five games. Okay, there's three tough ones and two easy ones. Okay, we're going to beat Buffalo. We're going to beat Detroit. Now, if we can somehow win one out of those other three, <laughs> yeah. we're going to have a, you know, that's above 500 road trip. Well, here they have, they've lost the, the two teams that are going to be near the bottom of the standings, and they still have two really good teams left on this trip. So uh, the Oilers have somehow got to figure out how to come out early in a hockey game because it's not it has not been good enough not just on this road trip, but for most of the year, they have not been good enough in the first five to ten minutes of a game. Reminding you that James H. Brown and Associates, unrivaled experience, unrivaled commitment, unrivaled results, giving $100 to 630 Chet Santa's Anonymous every time the Oilers score this season. So two for 200 tonight as the Oilers lose 3-2 in Buffalo. We'll get to your phone calls in a second here. Let's go back to Buffalo. Here's the Nuge. Just obviously winning Uh Yeah. For sure. I mean, uh, it's not a position we want to put ourselves in uh, night after night. Um, last night, obviously, we battled back. Uh, it was an emotional game, and uh, we found a way to um, uh, to come from behind. But, I mean, it's uh, it's not, not always that easy. Uh, we definitely pushed in the third tonight. But, um, I mean, overall, it's just uh, we need to be better in the, the early part of the game and um, cost us tonight. I thought he was great. I thought he uh, made some big saves when we needed him to. Um, obviously, we got to do a better job in front of him, uh, limit those great A chances. Uh, they, had, they had some really good looks, uh, some looks that he uh, made some big saves on. Um, so we just need to be uh, a little more solid in front of him. You guys come into the road trip nine and one, and now you've dropped two of your last three. What can adversity do for this club? Can it can it maybe help you in the long term? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's not going to be easy. I mean, obviously, uh, where we put ourselves is a good position, but I mean, we know teams are going to uh, see our record and uh, and want to come out flying and know that they're uh, going to have to play us hard. And um, I, I mean, that Buffalo team, they just play a hard, hard, hard nosed game, and uh, um, they skate, uh, they make it work for everything, and. Um, I thought uh, in the third we were probably at our best, uh, just keeping things simple and putting pucks on the net and uh, having guys going there. But uh, overall, we can uh, improve on that. How much did energy level play into the first half of the third, and then you found a second win? Um, well, I mean, you got to get used to the back-to-backs. Uh, you, you play quite a few on the on the road, especially. So um, it's not an excuse. Uh, we've been doing it for. Um, years now, so I mean, uh, you know what to expect, but um, I mean, definitely uh, uh, with those power plays in the middle um, and then some penalty kills, you got to find a way to get your legs and, uh, and, and start playing uh, a little more energetic 5-on-5. Five five. Thanks. Okay, that's Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who is up to 17 assists on the season, by the way. <laughs> he, he assisted on both goals tonight, and well, we keep talking about it because it's still relevant. The NHL record for most assists by a forward before getting his first goal of the season is 22 by Alex Del Vecchio in 1969-70. The all-time record is Teppo Newman in 05-06. You know, he got up to 33. He's a defenseman. So when we talk about this record for the Nuge, well, who knows? The, he, we, if he passes Del Vecchio, then we have to keep talking about Well, them. he's, he's going to get to 21 assists, and he's going to pull an Al Iafredi, where he's going to have a breakaway late in the game on an empty net, and he's just going to dump it in the corner and change so he can get his record. Uh, his playmaking has been very good. I'm sure that he would love to have a one where it says zero right now for goals. It'll come. It's just uh, a race now between whether it comes before he gets five more assists or not. 
So 3-2 Buffalo beating the Oilers tonight. Edmonton's record falls to 10-3. The Sabres are now 6-5-2. Nugent Hopkins tonight played 23-29, had uh, one shot on goal, was 0-5 in faceoffs. Wow, though the Oilers did win 65% of their draws with Ryan McLeod going 10-for-13. Wow. And Leon going 16 out of 23. But it didn't add up to a victory for Edmonton tonight. The hotline is 780-496-0063. It's presented by Sir the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. Certainteed, pro all the way, as we're going to bring Alex onto the show. And I'll just let everybody know the second half is going to start in a couple minutes here at Commonwealth Canada and Costa Rica, our scoreless. Hey, Alex, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, guys, how are you doing? Yeah, good, man. Go ahead. Uh, was that Alex of the Vecchio? Was he a Red Wing? Yeah, he was a Red Wing, yep. That's, that's what I thought. Um, well, my thoughts are this. I mean, just like everyone saw it today, the passion was just horrific. And, uh, I mean, me and my wife were watching this game. We are thinking, you know, Buffalo, you know, they don't really have a lot there. I mean, yeah, they worked hard tonight, but we were just thinking, when are they going to blow this game open, Edmonton? And it just didn't happen. And uh, the bad passing and, the, and uh, you know, for this couple of goals went the other way because of it. Just couldn't get into that groove. And, uh but anyway, I'm glad they're going to be playing the Western Conference, and obviously they're going to have to get up for St. Louis and back-to-back against Winnipeg. And uh, But I do have a question for you, Rob, mm-hmm. and uh, and Reed. Uh, McDavid, I don't know what it is, but his body language on the ice, he doesn't look like – he just doesn't look happy at all. I don't know, even when there's goals scored or whatever, uh, like uh, his body language is terrible out there. At least that's what I'm seeing on the TV. And I guess my question is, uh, Rob, for you, when you were playing – when you had leaders on your ice like Mario and Paul Coffey and, well, like yourself, I mean, if you had a body language like that, you know, like he looks like he's a baby out there. And I hate to say that because I'm obviously a, a huge fan of the, the best player in the world, but I'd like to see this guy smile a little bit more and start slapping guys on the rear end with a stick and, and uh, leading a charge because, let's face it, Drysdale has been the leader on this team the last little while. I'll leave it at that. That's, I guess I'm a little upset about what's been going on here lately. Yeah, that's an interesting comment because, I, I mean, Leon hardly celebrated when he scored. And he often, <laughs> I, I mean, I've always thought, uh, you know, the Drysdale's more the guy who doesn't show a lot of... <laughs> emotion, emotion that's just kind of like okay yeah I made a nice play who cares I, I, I would not commenting on whether McDavid is show with his body language but I can tell you from experience uh, a players read their leader's body language absolutely they do whether it's in the dressing room on the ice uh, when I was a young player and uh, a Mario or a Ron Francis or a Brian Trache come over and give you a pat or tell you a good job or if things went wrong, gives you that, don't worry about it, you'll get them next type of that. It goes a long way in the confidence building of players. So, uh, yes, the, the, what, the leaders, the way they handle themselves, the way they carry themselves go a long way in a team having success and, and feeling good about themselves. 3-2. The uh, Oilers lose tonight in Buffalo. Let's check the out-of-town scoreboard for Edmonton Trailer. Looking for parts, service, rentals, or new and used semi-trailers, head to edmontontrailer.com. It is the Calgary Flames getting a point for an overtime loss against the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Austin Matthews gets the winner, 232 into overtime. So now the Leafs are 7 Pardon me, the Flames are 7-3-4. and four. The Leafs are 9-5-1. and one. Chicago leading Arizona 1-0 in the last minute of the second period. 
Flyers beat the Hurricanes 2-1, so just the second loss of the season for the Hurricanes, and the Capitals get by the Blue Jackets 4-3. Alex Ovechkin got his 12th of the season. The Edmonton Oil Kings get Jake Neighbors back from St. Louis. Six minutes left in the third. Oil Kings leading Regina 6-3. And in the CFL tonight, late in the fourth quarter, Toronto's going to beat Hamilton. Hamilton having a really tough go here. Toronto up 24-4. And BC and Calgary are going to kick off at the bottom of the hour. And we're two minutes into the second half at uh, Commonwealth Stadium. No score between Canada and Costa Rica. From We had the, the two-screen experience going on here, Rob, watching more of the hockey game, but it appeared Canada had the better of the territory in the first half, but could not find a goal. Yeah, they have had a lot of good chances. Nothing really on net, but the problem is in a 0-0 game, Costa Rica, they're still good. They're higher, higher ranked than Canada in the national or in the FIFA rankings. They only need one opportunity to go ahead, so a uh, very important second half here for Team Canada, and hopefully a, a big celebratory night for the 50,000-ish that are at Commonwealth. Yes. I'm going to be driving home into that neighborhood just when everybody's leaving. You'll have your windows open. You'll be honking your horn. Well, I hope so. I hope, I hope it's a Canada victory here. And then, of course, Mexico is here Tuesday night. 780-496-0063 on the uh, Certainty Hotline. If you want to chime in tonight, you can also text us. Tweet me at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. You know... It was, and you mentioned that first period. And this did feel like a strange game right from the beginning because Nurse celebrates a goal, and the ref seemed very sure that it went in. Yep. And, and this is not a ref comment because clearly nope. it was a, it was a hard, uh, kind of an awkward play, and the puck it looked like it went under Tukarski's right arm, which he had against the post, and then deflected up. Like I think it hit something went up under the crossbar and then came down and almost rolled across his name bar and went out. And I wonder if I wonder if the ref signaled that it was a goal just because of the amount of time it took for the puck to come out. He must have thought, well, if it, if it took that long to be visible again, it must have gone in and then uh, bounced out. That, that was a really weird one. It was. I think a large part of, well, I mean, the reason we were fooled and the reason the TV guys were fooled, Jack and Louie, and probably the ref was because of the celebration of Darnell Nurse. And, and I've told, said it many times, a player knows when a puck goes in, and a player knows if it hits him, if he scored the goal, if there was a deflection. So when Darnell started celebrating like he did, everyone thought, oh, must be in. Now, that's where the referee made a slight mistake because if you don't see it in, if you are not 100% sure it's in, let it play out because if it was in, they will come back to it. They will see it on replay, and you'll be able to call it a goal later. But the problem is if you call it a goal and you wait and you blow the whistle down, that may stop another opportunity as the puck still hadn't left the zone yet. And then Buffalo scored and almost sheepish, uh, sheepishly <laughs> celebrated, and it was indeed a high stick by R2 Rootsalina, and he had it. He, the high shot came in, and he tipped it down into the net, and... I mean, a lot of times a goalie will protest, but Skinner was on that uh, right away. So two goals reviewed in the first period, both correctly uh, overturned, and then all the scoring was in the second period. Uh, Max writes in, he says, looks like Connor McDavid appeared a little frustrated tonight. Hyman needs to one-time those passes instead of stopping the puck to get a good shot. The defense needs to stay back at crucial times instead of trying to score. Move the puck up to the forwards right away. That's how they make all the breaks. Quit diddly-daddling in your own zone, just mm-hmm. get the puck, 
or he says, quit diddly-daddling in your own zone before you pass the puck. Yeah, they should never diddly-daddly. That's not good. Uh, the one that we t- he mentioned about Hyman, yes, and that's right when it happened. I said to you, if he one times it, it's a goal. Mm-hmm. The, and that's, to me, it's a, an art that too many players don't do enough or aren't good at it the one time. And we see when players ha- are good at it, the success of Leon Dreisaitl and other players, if he one times that, that that net's wide open. As soon as you stop it, that allows a defenseman to get a stick or body in the shooting lane and it allows it a, go- a goaltender that extra split second to get into uh, position. So, yes, the that one should have been one-timed. If it was one-timed, we would have been going to overtime. Do you, do you wonder, and I'm not, I'm just playing devil's advocate a bit here. Do you think it was too far well, back or he just should have just swept that? No, if, I mean, again, I we weren't there, so it was hard, I, it's hard seeing on TV if it was in the the his... Um, sweet spot, and I never really showed a replay. Uh, yeah, if it's not in the right spot, well, then, yeah, you have to stop it. I'd have to see it again to yeah. see. But, I mean, if if he was able to one-time it, it would have been a goal. And also, the, the great guys, and dry settles one of them, they can one-time it when it's not in there. Because there's been well, passes over the last couple of years that have gone to Leon, and I thought, oh, he can't one-time. Oh, he just scored. Well, yeah, it, the, the, the greats, they just uh, adjust their body. And they move. They either put a little more weight in their back foot, a little more in the front foot. But yes, they adjust to the to the pass. Um, sometimes the pass is too hard; you aren't able to. And sometimes just a really bad pass. But if you're able to one time it, you have a much better chance of scoring a goal because you don't have to hit it hard. You just have to hit the net because the net will be wide open. Roadhammer writing in in response to the Dave Tippett. Availability was that Dave Tippett or Bill Belichick? We're <laughs> <laughs> on to St. Louis. We're <laughs> on to St. Louis. Uh, another texter says another slow start. I think they're missing a fiery Mike Smith staring them down between periods when they play poorly. Yeah, that's an interesting comment. Yeah, possibly. Uh, yeah, possibly. You, you never know. Uh, obviously, there's you know the team dynamic with a couple dozen guys in the dressing room. You, you never know what it's like or who's who's taking charge. They're, they're certainly not a great starting team, which is. And, I, and I'm not saying that's the only reason they, they, they lost tonight because they weren't great in the middle of the game either and for most of the ending. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. The, a lot of the great teams over the years, and, and I wouldn't even classify the Oilers as a great team yet. They're, nope, try, they're yet. trying to get there. They're, they're, you know, it's been a great start at 10-3, and three, I suppose, regardless of what happened tonight. But, yeah, I mean, how often do we hear that? Well, when you went into Montreal in the 70s, just survive 10 minutes and oh. try to only be down a goal. Or you know, or even um, uh, Chase on talking about the attitude that the Capitals had when he were on them, that their goal was to be up 2 nothing 10 minutes into the game on home ice. Yeah, well, that, Just pound the crap out of the other team and, and take control and have them trying to catch up to you the entire night. Well, whenever I was on a team that was an underdog going into a game, the one thing we always would say, survive. Just survive the first 10 minutes of the hockey game. If you survive, then you can have a chance. Oh my goodness, we're just watching the Canada game and a Canadian player just did the backwards bicycle kick off the crossbar, almost going one nothing. But if you're the better team, push the pace, because the other team, there's nerves on their side. They're, the belief, it's not really a belief yet in the Buffalo dressing room before the game against Edmonton. It's a hope. And the longer they stay in the game, the more belief they get. And for the Buffalo Sabres, they got belief, and then Edmonton was sloppy. And when they were sloppy, the Buffalo Sabres capitalized on a few chances, and all of a sudden they're like, 
oh my goodness, we can win this game. And trust me, beating the Edmonton Oilers right now is huge for any team in the National Hockey League. They are one of the hottest teams to start the NHL season, and they have the two best players in the NHL. They have the best power play in the NHL. Their penalty killing is very good. So it is a feather in your cap if you're able to beat them. So that's why right now, whenever the Oilers get off to slow starts against Detroit, the other night a team that would be a lesser light in the National Hockey League, those teams, they get more belief as the game goes on, and you're allowing teams that you should beat to stay in hockey games, which allows them to come eventually uh, upset you, and that's what happened in two of the three games the Oilers have played on this trip. Our adjustment of the game for Sunday will be scoring first, presented <laughs> by Pro Drain Text for peace of mind down the line. The Oilers have been scored on first in four consecutive games, and as John Shannon pointed out uh, before the, the game tonight, this is now uh, seven times this season the Oilers have allowed the, the first goal. They've, when they've, they've scored the first goal six times, they've won every game. So there you go. Certainty Hotline, 780-496-0063. Nick is standing by. Good evening, Nick. Thank you for calling. All right, how's it going, boys? Doing well. What are you What are you up to? Are you driving around? Are you watching soccer, football? What's going on? I'm in on? the tractor. I'm feeding cows. I was oh, watching good man. the game, and then uh, I went out to go give the cows a bail. So. Good man. <laughs> I, I was wondering, who's uh, since Skinner's been up, who's the goalie on the farm right now, and what's his record? How's uh, he doing? Rodrigue and Konovalov. I will check their stats. I do not think that either one of them had great stats. I think I saw both their save percentages were like 860 or something. Below, that, uh, yeah. Not okay, great. Because, like, like, Skinner's good in the AHL. Like, like you guys would agree with that, he's, right? He's, Absolutely. He's very good in the AHL. Very good. What do, what's your opinion on the NHL game? That's two games, but what's your guys' sample size? He's been good. He's an NHL goaltender. Okay. Uh, probably at this point in his career, he could be a backup NHL goaltender with potential to get even better. He, the thing is, he improves every year, and that's what you want to see in any yeah. player, whether it's a goalie or a hard worker. He seems like a hard worker, yeah. like, and, and it seems like the guys like him too. So yeah, no, it he, he's trending in the right direction, which is what you want. So uh, both games he's played on this road trip, he's played well enough to win the games. The teams in front of him have played poor enough to lose his starts. Yeah, so yeah. Bakersfield's currently playing San Diego, by the way. They're scoreless halfway through the first. Uh, Ilya Konovalov has five appearances this season. He's 1-1-1 one, one, and one with an 8.50 save percentage. Olivier Rodrigue has five appearances. He's 1-3-1 with an 837 save percentage. I just want to clarify that, Nick, an 837 save percentage, and Canada has scored. I don't know if you can hear me clapping in the background. That was me, and I just want to say I didn't scream. I pushed my mute button so that you couldn't hear me. Right. Canada up, one nothing, second half. Did you get all that, Nick? <laughs> well, I hope so. I think he's gone. That's okay. Uh, I got to see the goal now. I was reading the stats when it went in. So exciting. What are we, about the 60th minute here? We're about an hour in. About that, the goaltender for Costa Rica plays the ball but drops it. Yeah, long cross into the box. The goalie came forward in a crowd of players to try to grab it and dropped it, and it's right there. That's that. For... We talked to David. Oh, is that David? Yeah, yes. he okay. scored. I told you before, the game, he scores in every single game I've ever watched. He's pretty good. Yeah. Huge goal for Canada now. Yeah, Huge goal. Once he got there, the goalie was totally out of position, so he had two defenders between him and the goal line and just fired it in. So there we go. Canada gets one. You know what? If you were at home tonight and you were trying to go to bed, you would have been awoken 
to a very, very loud roar from Commonwealth right now. Yeah, because I go to bed at 8.23, Rob. Hey, you know what? I sometimes do, okay? <laughs> so don't judge well, me. Oh, fair enough. I, don't I, judge me. I, I do not. <laughs> uh, so that would have been in the 58th minute. Canada goes up 1-0 on Costa Rica. Cool stuff. Okay, Oilers lose 3-2 to Buffalo. Uh, not a good game for Edmonton tonight. We have Cam at 780-496-0063. Hey, Cam, go ahead. This was wondering, you guys talked about the referees yesterday. What about a referee challenge, you know, to kind of say that you don't agree with their, like, with their call? What do you guys think about that? That's a really good question, and that's come up before about ch- – actually, you're talking about actually challenging a penalty call as opposed well, to just an offside call, or whatever. Yeah, correct. Yeah. It, isn't, there, kind of call. isn't there a penalty uh, where you can challenge if there's a four-minute penalty? Can't you challenge that? I think they. I think that's the referees look at that themselves. Is that what it is? I, I oh, don't okay. think it's a, a team challenge. Yeah. Yes, they can double-check a, a minor. Challenge, a referee's challenge and then see – you know, contradict or call, right? I think that would be an awesome idea. Well, I mean, they do it. You do it in football. They do it in on certain plays. I think in hockey, they'd have to really or you're allowed to find this the situation, right? Yeah. Well, because a lot of them are judgments, but there are some that. Well, uh, when was it tonight where the Buffalo Saber guy got a penalty for? I think it was tonight where there was it was a terrible call, and we're like, okay, that you would probably. Challenge. There was one the other night where Getzlaff was in a breakaway late in the game against the Canucks, and he he fell on his own, and they gave Markstrom the goaltender a penalty. There, there's another time you can challenge. So yeah, I just I, I, first of all, can't, I don't know if Cam's still on the line. I think that is an excellent question. The, my concern would be, and I'll let I'll let you respond to this. I, I mean, hockey is such a game of flow, and one thing Rob and I have heard is sometimes, I mean, not everybody, when there's an offside challenge, we sometimes people will write in or call in and say, well, it delayed the game for four minutes to look at a one-inch offside. I think that might be, like, what, what do you think of that? Would it be worth the delay for you? Yeah, I mean, a couple of minutes. What's a couple of minutes? I mean, uh, then, you, then you know you're making a right call. Yeah, if they do it, it would have to be something where you're allowed one a game. And that yeah. and that's it. Yeah. But yeah, I could see that. I mean, there have been calls late in hockey games that were the wrong call, and all of a sudden. Oh, but at that sure. point too, you start wondering: Can you also throw a challenge that should have been a call? Like some yeah. say, a guy's on a breakaway, and say Connor McDavid's on a partial breakaway, and they don't make the call. Can you throw a flag out as a, as the coach and say, "Hey, that should have been a penalty"? Mm-hmm. Can you do that too? Because that's what we were talking about last night: was all the non-calls. So I just double-checked the rules. So the the league gives the referees the ability to look back at any major or match penalty except fights to determine if it should be reduced to a minor. They can't rescind the penalty altogether. So if somebody says, okay, if the ref says, Wilkins, you high-stick Brown and you're getting a five-minute penalty, they can look to change it to a two, but they couldn't eliminate the penalty altogether. Yeah. Um, they can review double minor high sticking penalties. Oh, those can be actually high sticks can be rescinded if they look at it and say, oh, wait a minute, it wasn't that guy's stick at all. Which we see actually more more times than not where all of a sudden it'll be a team's own teammate yeah. that'll high Correct. stick them. Yeah. And all right, guys, awesome. Keep it up. Yeah. All right, thank you. That's a good question. And they and they have the rule because some, remember something happened in the playoffs. There should have been a, a couple of years ago, there should have been a glove pass. And then the the attacking yeah. was it St. Louis and San Jose? Seems like San Jose was involved with all the weird things but, that happened in the playoffs. Well, a couple years well that ago. whole major penalty thing—that's yeah. because of the incident yeah. in Game Seven of San Jose and Vegas well, off that cost, face-off. It cost Vegas uh, 
the series. So, so now if if you and I are teammates, and I I glove the puck to you, and the refs don't see it, and you score, they can look at that. But that but that has to be challenged. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean there are challenges out there. Yeah, see that's that's a really good question by Cam. I just like like in football there's the play and then there's a stoppage the anyway. The plays generally it's over. I mean yeah. there's the odd time where the whistle goes and you can say, well, if you could have returned the fumble, maybe yeah. they get more yardage. But yeah, and in hockey, it's. I mean, it could be 15 seconds. It could be a minute 15. Well, there was one shift tonight. There was about six <laughs> was minutes about long. about six minutes between whistles. And then you have to replay the six minutes. So there's a lot of things that come into play. I'm going to say this right now. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I don't think they would ever allow co- – like, I, I don't think they would ever give coaches an open challenge just to challenge any penalty they, they wanted or to say there should be a penalty. It, it, or if they did do it, something like that, they'd have to – they're. Because right now there's a punishment if you are wrong on offside, which, which I like. You get you get a delay of game, yeah. so they don't want they don't want fishing expeditions. And that's I remember that's what they eliminated in the CFL a few years ago because you could challenge almost anything. And there I was at a game between BC and Edmonton, and it had like really good flow. It was a good game, and then in the last four minutes of the third quarter, there were like three challenges, and it took. 25 minutes I don't know how long but it took yeah. we're just sitting there and then actually the CFL changed the rule the, for the next week and said okay now you can't challenge as much so that's that's the risk right you don't like I said you don't want just fishing expeditions where coaches like well, I, I don't punishment. know I'll just yeah. try you know I'll just try well, and, that's, because. and that's what happened is they started doing that Every, I mean they even talked about it coaches I'm just doing it and I'll just get yeah. a timeout slow the momentum of the other team so yeah. I'll just call it no matter so what the interesting thing though because originally when you challenged for offside if you were wrong you lost your timeout but you could now you could lose a game 10 nothing, and you could challenge every goal for offside but if you were wrong 10 times You'd be <laughs> short-handed. Well, there's probably, probably a reason why you lost ten nothing because you kept challenging right. and getting wrong. Right, you know what I'm saying? Like that's yes. that it is. It's probably better having the penalty than losing a timeout. That's even more punitive. Absolutely, it is. Okay, seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Oilers lose three two to the Buffalo Sabers. We'll get a quick break here for the news and weather, and then we'll keep rolling along with Heartland Ford overtime open line on six thirty. Check. Oilers hockey is brought to you by Friesen Brothers. This is the Heartland Ford overtime. Open line. Here's Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 chair. Thompson for Buffalo. That is blue line. Gets away from Fogel. Now skates into the Oiler end. Comes down the right wing. He'll shoot a high riser off the shoulder of Skinner. And that goes out of play. Good stop by Stuart Skinner. And that's his save of the game for Reface Magic. Transform your kitchen with ease. See the magic at refacemagic.ca. Buffalo beating the Oilers tonight. 3-2. Pretty sloppy game by the Oilers for the most part. Skinner winds up with 20 saves, so it is the River Cree under tonight. I set the line at 29.5 before the game. Landon was correct with the under, so he gets a $50 River Cree Resort and Casino gift card. Excitement. Bet on it. You sound like Fred Flintstone. Bet, 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 bet. I used to work with Fred and Lloyd. You really work with Fred Flintstone? <laughs> oh, no, sorry. That was Fred Faulkner. He was a sales guy. <laughs> That'd be cool. Did, was, did he have a friend named Barney, too? Uh, that's a good question. 
I knew a lot of people in Lloyd. Well, right. I know a lot of people in Edmonton too. It's not like I stopped knowing people when I not as many people. Don't know a lot. No, of people I spent a lot of time with you. Yeah, know many people in Bedrock. Uh, See, are you too old for or too young for, for the Flintstones? No, no, I used to. Watch, well, I think when I watched it, though, it was the reruns, right? It used to be on over noon hour. Well, I actually I, I watched when they were live. When was when did it actually air the first time? <laughs> um, I don't know. I watched them in the seventies. Yeah, I would have been watching the original release of the Flintstones, September nineteen sixty to April nineteen sixty six. So I didn't watch them live. You didn't watch them live either. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed live to me when I was six. Yeah, we didn't know much when we were six. <laughs> well, I'm not sure we know much now. I don't. We're no. just older. Uh, 72nd minute, Canada leading Costa Rica 1-0 at Commonwealth. Steve writes in to 780-496-0063. So who overrides the ref in that scenario, the one we were talking about with Cam before the break? Steve goes on to say, I'd rather see the refs be made available to the media. I think it will do more for accountability if they needed to answer. And that call you guys were referring to didn't cost Vegas. An NHL team shouldn't allow four goals in five minutes, no matter the situation. No, I still say it cost them. I mean, they were up four. They wouldn't have. They wouldn't have given up that many five on five. So yes, that that call cost them the series. And actually, eventually cost Gerard Gallant his job. And the guy that took the job was the guy for San Jose. Yeah, which is kind of funny how that played out. Not for Gerard. <laughs> Although he's loving life in the big coaching apple. the uh, the Rangers. Yes. Uh, Don says, do you see the Oilers going into the playoffs with these three goalies? No, I don't. Because they'd only have two. <laughs> well, I, I, <laughs> I know that's not what Don is asking. In, in all honesty, I guess it all depends on... What happens in the next, oh, what is it, 65 games now or whatever it is, 67 games, does Mike Smith get healthy? Um, yep. if, if Mike Smith comes back and plays the rest of the season and he seems healthy, then I could see, I mean, both Skinner and Koskinen have shown to be very capable backups. If Mike Smith comes back and then is out again at any point, during the rest of the regular season, then I believe the Oilers will try to make a move at the trade deadline. Because then I don't know if they, I think they would feel comfortable as Koskinen as their backup or Skinner as their backup going into the playoffs. I'm not sure they would feel confident with either one of them as their starter going into the playoffs. So I think the health of Mike Smith from between now and February will dictate whether or not they feel the need to get a goalie at the deadline. Okay, here's the thing, and we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Oh, yeah. As we but usually I do. think right now, let's say Smith is healthy, but the Oilers still think we want to upgrade the goaltending. We maybe want Smith to be the backup in the postseason. I don't see then, that. Then I w- well, why not? I well, the way he played last year. And if he plays anywhere like he did that, I don't think they go out and find another goaltender and ruin uh, the he well, chemistry on, on the team. There. I mean, if you could get John Gibson for the next six years. Well, for the, yeah, but that's different. That's not just getting someone for the deadline. That's not just getting someone oh, no, for a playoff but, No, run. I'm not saying uh, – yeah, yeah, I mean, like, Fleury oh, okay, that, just for the rest of the Okay, so but, that's but, different. Okay, but if, you're tr- but if you trade for a goalie, you'd probably want that other team to take Koskinen's contract if Smith were healthy. True. But, I, I mean, that's, that's a hockey trade. I, I, I'm not going anything to do with hockey trades. But as a rental for some of the playoffs, no. If, if Smith is healthy, I do not believe that they'll find go look for another goaltender. If there's any more issues with, fifth, with Smith 
the remainder of the season, then yes, I do believe they look for another goal. Yeah, a co-worker was asking me about, you know, Corpusalo today. And, yeah, there's uh, there are other good goalies out there. It, that, it, that's going to be really interesting because I think Holland would no doubt trade the first-round pick. I mean, especially if the Oilers are going to be a top-10 yes. team and the pick's going to be 22, 25, 28 or whatever based on the regular season finish. Uh, but also, if you're another team, I mean, when the negotiations start, you're going to ask for as much as possible. I would think the other team is saying, like, okay, one of your first rounder and one of Broberger Holloway. Well, it depends on what you're getting in return. Yeah, exactly. But I would think if you're trading the order as a really good goalie or anybody a really good goalie, you're asking yep. for a pick and a prospect and who knows what else. But I, I'll go with what I've said ever since I started working this job. I do not overpay for a rental. Never. I don't care who it is. Uh, I would... It's not worth it. It's just not worth a rental. A hockey trade where the guy stays and you have him for another year or two, that's one thing. But if you're just getting a guy for the rest of the season, I would never give up something uh, worthy because you're just renting a guy and eventually you're going to lose what you gave away and that guy as well. Will says, uh, on the subject of Connor not showing any emotion, do you think maybe it's because he gets so hard on himself if things aren't working out the way he's thinking it should be going? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I... Do people, I, do people actually want Connor McDavid to show more emotion? Yes. Because let's face it, when Taylor Hall showed emotion, we got texts and calls that Taylor Hall was a crybaby. I, well, I don't. When they're talking, he, the guy said smiling. He didn't say anything about whining. He said the emotion that they wanted out of Connor McDavid is more happiness. Well, okay. So I don't think anyone wants someone to whine more. Well, I think he and Dreisaitl do have that attitude, and McDavid has said it. It's his job to score goals. So when he scores a goal, he thinks, okay, I did my job. No, I agree there. I agree with that. I know there was a very animated conversation on the bench last game, was it, between Connor and Yessi Pugliarvi. And it was right after a shift where Yessi had gone offside. And it was very animated. And the, the yeah, TV he looked upset got, at Yessi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he did not look happy. So uh, I, I imagine there's frustration comes in. Uh, most star players expect perfection. And when it's not perfection, then they do get a little frustrated, and sometimes it shows. The hard thing about uh, star players, camera's always on you. So when you get frustrated, everybody knows you're frustrated. Yeah. When you have bought. Did Colton Sevier do something out of frustration tonight? We, I don't no know. One knows. we don't know. <laughs> no. Well, it's like when Tiger Woods, whenever he got caught swearing in. Uh, on, on <laughs> microphone, it's because he was always on microphone. So it's like there's more a bigger chance for that to happen. So that's the thing with Connor McDavid as well. But uh, I, I imagine there was a few frustrated players tonight for the Edmonton Oilers. This, this was not the way it was supposed well, to go. Well, I hope they were frustrated. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even mind if sometimes players do look frustrated as long as it's not it doesn't become pouting. Like, yes. if you have a bad shift or, or like you said, if a guy misses you with a pass, I don't mind glaring at a teammate or saying, come on, man. Or, uh, you know what? If, I, it's, if it happens, then it's over. Like, if, then if you, you know, I don't want but you guys then, sitting on the bench and fighting. But it depends who the player is. If, if a star player does that to a, to a Ryan McLeod. So if a Connor McDavid says something or glares at McLeod, if he makes a bad pass or takes a bad pass, that affects that player for the rest of the game. If you do it to a younger player. It does, and I know that from experience. So, uh, to me, when you make a mistake, the, the greats just come up and say, don't worry, you got it next time. To go up and say, okay, seriously, what's wrong with you? And glare or give nasty look or throw your head back, that affects the player. Uh, veteran players, it wouldn't affect as much, but for a younger player, it, yeah, it 
a negative. But it happened. I mean, I've seen, oh, it does Tom, happen. I've seen Tom Brady throw his arms up in yeah, the air and if a receiver and, drops the ball. Yeah, and it affects the player. I'm telling you, that being in there, what if that's like you're going to work and all of a sudden you make a flub on air and your boss comes in here and glares at you, throws his hands up in the air, that affects the rest of your broadcast. Yes, but I would already know I messed up, though. Yeah, but the I player, should do a better job. The player knows he messed up, too, if he misses a pass. Every, every, there's no thing that a coach or another player can tell a player that he doesn't already know. There's, there's no time that a player makes a mistake that he doesn't know he made a mistake. So if someone comes in and gets in his face about it, it doesn't make things better. Well, if it's a big mistake, but I think Why? when Connor was upset at, at Yessi yesterday, it was uh, Yessi had misread what Connor was going to do, and Connor was explaining it. I'm to not him. talking. That's, about, that's what I read. There. Well, I'm not talking. I'm talking about any situation. That if a player, you said that you don't mind when a guy gets in a guy's face or calls him out. I think it, it's a problem if it's a younger player. It really is. Canada scored again. Nope, they just disallowed it. Okay. Well, anyway, that's not a problem. On <laughs> doesn't appear to be an issue on the Oilers. Uh. Al says, at what point do these starts become a leadership group accountability? I'm not criticizing as our starts have been great, but at what point do the leaders start guns blazing and force the team to follow? I remember the Detroit teams, and I believe it was Lidstrom saying that the leadership group doesn't tolerate missed passes in practice, let alone poor starts in games. That's from Al. That's true. That is true. First, before the Canada, the guy hit it in with his hand. It was a pretty easy no call, good call by the referee. Uh, yeah, it... I mean, the Oilers, I don't know about the, the passing thing, but the Oilers leadership group is the hardest working players on their team. And when I talk leadership group, I talk Connor, uh, Leon, and Darnell Nurse. And then if you want to throw in Mike Smith there as well. Those are your four leaders of this franchise, and they are your hardest working players in practice, in games, in workouts. And that goes a long way, and that's not always the case. It, it, I played on teams where the star players weren't the hardest working players. And then all of this becomes a bit of a country club. Because if the star right. players don't have to do it, well, why do I have to do it? Why am I staying extra after practice? He's not doing it. But the Oilers do not have that issue. The Oilers star players work hard. And someone uh, I heard on the pregame show you were talking about why the Oilers were so good in the third periods, how they had outscored the opposition so badly. To me, the biggest reason is the Oilers star players are in better shape than any player in the National Hockey League. So when players get tired, and over the course of a game, the longer the game goes, the more tired you get, the Oilers stars are still just as fresh as they were when the game started. So now they have an advantage because they're better. Now it becomes a bigger advantage because they still feel fresh or look fresh, and they're going against guys who aren't as strong as them and now aren't in as good a shape or are tired. They are freaks of nature. Leon and Connor are freaks of nature when it comes. And Darnell, they can play. Well, Darnell played. What did he play in that three-overtime game last year in playoffs? And he looked just as good at the end of the game as he did at the beginning. To me, that's why the Oilers are such a strong third-period team. Oilers lose 3-2 in Buffalo. Canada leading Costa Rica 1-0 in the 83rd minute at Commonwealth Stadium. We have Douglas on the Certainty Hotline. Hey, Douglas, go ahead. How you doing? Doing quite well. Good. Uh, I just had a couple quick questions, and it's just about one of them. It's about when you're talking about goalies. Like, yep. Why is it that Anaheim drafts so many good goalies? You could go over a huge list of how many goalies that they've drafted that are in the NHL and not. Uh, see if you, once I hang up if you can pick them all and then the other one was why didn't we get in on Martin Jones it seems like Philadelphia got him for nothing and I thought he was like a number one goalie he's young too Martin Jones really struggled last year, though. Was it last year and the year before? He hadn't been what everyone had hoped he would be in San Jose, so that might have been it. I think 
the biggest thing is... He's 31. He's not that young anymore. And I think they had a contract in Koskinen that they couldn't get rid of. And they really like Mike Smith. Martin I mean, Jones was exactly 896 uh, three years in a row. Yeah, so so not not good. He was he fell off in San Jose, and that's why he wasn't kept there. He just wasn't the goalie that they had all hoped that he was going to be. He's got a 950 in uh, limited action with Philadelphia this year. He's only played three games. Yeah, he was. Uh, I mean, he was the goalie the Oilers beat in the playoffs in 2017. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I don't not to shoot you down, Douglas, but I mean. Once we get into the season, we can kind of sit here and say, well, why didn't they get that? I mean, every team isn't in on every player. And I know Oilers fans wish they're in on every player and every player's wanted to come to Edmonton and yeah, the GM was going to deal with Hall. And with this Jones, they wouldn't want to be in on Jones. He had a He's a sub-900 goaltender. They had a goalie in Mike Smith that was 920, and they had a contract they couldn't get rid of, so they never would have looked at Martin Jones. Okay, let's call a quick timeout. Oilers lose 3-2 in Buffalo. This is Heartland Ford Overtime Open Line. Working with... Live Oilers Hockey is brought to you by Friesen Brothers. This is the Heartland Ford Overtime Open Line. Here's Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Dylan Cousins scores twice in the final six minutes of the second period to lead Buffalo past Edmonton 3-2 tonight. Leon Dreisaitl had both goals for the Oilers, both on the power play. He's up to 14 on the season. Nugent Hopkins, two assists. Pugliarvi and McDavid, one assist each. Nugent Hopkins has 17 assists. He has yet to score a goal. The Oilers' record falls to 10-3 and on the season. Buffalo goes to 6-5-2 and as they snap a five-game winless run. They started the season 5-1-1. One, and one. They had been 0-4-1 since, but they get the victory tonight. Hope you're having a great Friday night. 87th minute at Commonwealth. Canada leading Costa Rica 1-0. So uh, depending on the time added on, we may or may not be with you until the end of the game. I mean, Canada has had the ball in the territory most of the night. They have. They've been the better team in it. We were just talking off air. So Alfonso Davies, who is in the top 11 best players in the world. The Canadian, the young Canadian uh, soccer player is that good. And they just subbed him out and the guy, the goal scorer, they subbed them both out in the last 10 minutes of the game. I'm just saying, imagine the Oilers subbing out Connor McDavid in the last 10 minutes of a hockey game when they're up one nothing. I don't always understand the intricacies of soccer. Well, but I mean, you're going for a total defensive stance here, I guess. He's still, but, still, yeah, he's still very good. <laughs> I'd still have Connor McDavid on in a one nothing game if I wanted to hold a lead. Mark Spector tweeting out attendance for the game: forty eight thousand eight hundred and six, third largest crowd ever to watch a Canadian men's team play in Canada. So that's pretty cool. And that I think is awesome. The crowd might be a little bigger for the game against Mexico on uh, Tuesday. We got plenty of sports for you on 6.30 Ched this weekend. Tomorrow, 12.30 countdown to kickoff. The game is at 2. The Edmonton Elks will be taking on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in Regina. And then Sunday, it is a 3.30 face-off show with the puck drop at 5. Oilers at Blues. That should be a, a really good test for the Oilers. The Blues are having a good season. They do play in Carolina tomorrow and then will fly home to take on the uh, 
Edmonton Oilers as the Blues, you know, one of the top teams in the league so far. They're coming in with a record of, well, right now their record is 8-2-2. Two and two. Now, I haven't seen them play in a while due to the COVID and everything from last year, but they are always a, a good test. They usually play a, a more physical type game. The Oilers have had some struggles in St. Louis over the years, uh, but the one thing the Oilers, they, you, whenever you go on a road trip, you want to have a above 500 record on the road trip. Well, the Oilers with the loss tonight now have to win two the next two games, and they will not be easy playing in both St. Louis and in Winnipeg so it, it it's a good test the Oilers have not faced adversity yet this season this will be the first time and you want to see what your team does under when it faces adversity you get to really judge what you have as a team and get to judge each player at that moment so we'll see how the Oilers come out against St. Louis do they have a better start do they play a little simpler a little smarter things that they didn't do tonight yeah, well, that's yeah, that's a big one for me. I want to see them do a little bit more in the first ten minutes because they've been. I mean, I guess if Boston, they they sort of. I mean, they didn't. They kind of got hemmed in and banged around the first couple of shifts, and then Leon took the penalty, and then Boston scored, and then Edmonton did respond. So, even though they didn't score first, maybe we shouldn't write off the whole first period against the Bruins. But but clearly, you know this first period and the first period in Detroit. Well, the first two peri- first two <laughs> periods, both of those games weren't very good. Okay, we're uh, winding her down. We are coming up to 90 minutes on the clock. Did they? Did you see how much time added on there's going to be? They haven't announced. They should announce it right away. I'm guessing about three or four minutes. No, four, four, four minutes. minutes. Okay, so well, well, hopefully uh, Thomas Dias will get the final in the newscast. But Canada is up 1-0 on Costa Rica in the dying minutes. Get more on the Oilers on 630chat.com or globalnews.ca. They lose 3-2 tonight to the Buffalo Sabres. I told you our next broadcast we're going to be on the air at 3.30 on Sunday for the game at 5 against the St. Louis Blues. Thanks to Kellen Kennedy, our studio producer this evening. We've been in the Friesen Brothers Broadcast Center. On behalf of Rob Brown, I'm Reed Wilkins. You've been listening to Heartland Ford Overtime Open Line. Have a great night. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.